Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Thank you for joining us today. We got a good one for you, folks. We are joined by Nathan Ruiz, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, how are you today? How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Um, Thanksgiving was nice. Uh, back to school this week. Um, not that I'm counting the days, but we have 15 days until Christmas break comes up. So, Not that you're counting. Man, I am so jealous of that school schedule, man. Like I, That was my goal at first. Not because I really wanted to work in a school, but I wanted a job there just for the schedule. Uh, can't beat that. No, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not It's not bad, actually. We get more time off than any profession that I know of, honestly. Now, granted, we do a lot of work, but uh, it's also a really, really nice schedule, and it's very family-friendly, especially when you've got kids that you've got to do childcare for, like I do. So, Absolutely. Well, I didn't end up working in a school. Another aspiration of mine at one point in my life was to be uh, a sports reporter, and uh, that didn't pan out either. But uh, we do have a sports reporter on the podcast with us. Like I said, we've got Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun. You could follow him on Twitter at Nathan S. Ruiz. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, the Orioles and, and trying to find out more about what their offseason is going to look like, I want to ask a little bit about you. So, Nathan, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your career path. Um, how long have you been on the Orioles B and, and what does your career path look like? Yeah. So this upcoming season will be my, my fifth on the Orioles beat. So I came in before the 2019 season, really like just at the tail end of spring training. I started at the sun. And so I've basically only known the rebuild uh, starting in 2019. That was Brandon Hyde's first year, Michael Elias's first year. Mm -hmm. I, I fortunately missed 2018, but my running joke Entering this season was that I was probably like by winning percentage of losing a beat writer in America, just covering the 2019 <laughs> to 21 Orioles. So, um, but so I, I grew up in Nevada. Uh, I, you know, played baseball, loved baseball, but I recognized pretty early like it wasn't going to be a, a long term thing for me. But uh, like I said, loved the game, wanted to find a way to stick around it. I don't really remember signing up for it, but I was in my high school journalism class as an elective. And fell in love with that too. And so I kind of just clicked in my brain of putting those two things together. Ended up moving halfway across the country to go to Oklahoma State, study sports journalism there. Uh, had a few internships along the way. And then ended up after uh, a few months after graduating after another internship at MLB.com. Was back in Oklahoma covering Oklahoma State for the Oklahoman. And after a year there, I moved the other half across the country to Baltimore. And have now, like I said, covered the Orioles for the past four years. Very cool. Uh, well, listen, you have something in your Twitter bio that I, is kind of a, uh, something else to be proud of here. I see yeah, this here is a great that you podcast were, talking point. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you, you were a Mario Kart uh, champion at Oklahoma State. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, basically every podcast I go on, they see that. and it, So I'm glad that we kept the streak going. But yeah, it was That's right. uh, my freshman year. There was a video game tournament on campus. And it was I think it was the NCAA football FIFA and Mario Kart. And I was, I like it, it sounds much cooler than it was. There was literally like seven people who played Mario Kart, most people, because there, there's tiered prizes. Like you got a better prize if you won the FIFA tournament. You got a better prize if you won uh, the NCAA tournament. So I went to the Mario Kart tournament. It was just like on the Wii. And uh, yeah, I think I only had to win like three or four races. I They gave me the prize. I think it was a pair of headphones. 
And then I also got the bracket. Like they had this giant, I guess me doing hand signals doesn't really service you guys on a podcast too much, but um, <laughs> it was a very large like styrofoam bracket, like piece of styrofoam with a bracket on it. And there was, like I said, there's only eight people in it. So it wasn't very filled out, but I did receive that. I think it's somewhere in my basement still, but yeah, that was that was a bigger part. The headphones did not last long. They broke pretty soon thereafter, but I hopefully still have that bracket. And I have the Twitter bio forever until Elon. Yeah. No, you got to you know, keep it there, man. So, but yeah. And so we know that you have your journalistic integrity because most people will probably lied about the number of people who were in the tournament, Nathan. So right. Well, as far as I know, I I beat every participant. So I, you know, that's all that matters. I was the winner. That's terrific. So bigger thrill, winning the tournament or getting the Orioles job? Uh, well, this so I think in the moment I was really excited about the Mario Kart tournament, but in terms of life, you know, this is, I have them both in my bio and they're in the order they're in, you know, it says Orioles reporter right. and then Mario Kart champion. So maybe at some point in life I switch those, but for right now, I think those are in the appropriate order. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Well, listen, uh, we are so happy to have you on. We're going to get into, uh, breaking down this Orioles team, what their off season is going to look like. And then we'll put our uh, our fantasy baseball spin on it. But uh, we want to start out with some highlights of the Orioles 2022 season. And, and there were quite a few uh, unexpectedly. Right. This team uh, was much better than most people thought they were going to be. And and that was uh, a big reason for that was these young prospects coming up. Uh, and we'll start off with Adley Rutschman. And, uh, you know, he is he was the, the number one prospect. Um you know, and he really seemed to make a difference when he came up. I know he struggled initially at first, but once it seemed that he got comfortable, he really took off. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit um, uh, to the emergence of Ali Rutschman uh, as a leader of this team. Yeah, I mean, so he wasn't on the team for the first 40 games of the year, suffered a tricep injury in spring training. But it, it the storyline of those whole 40 games was when is Adley going to get here? When is he going to be healthy? When is the organization going to deem him ready? And so it was kind of not this like dark cloud, but it was just something that people, it was basically all people were talking about. The team wasn't playing particularly well, really having some struggles offensively. And, and you know, they lose John Means to Tommy John surgery. Like people just were, were begging for Adley to show up. And then it happens. And I just remember that that first day uh, when he came up against the Rays, there was just such a different energy in the ballpark. Um, like I had said, I, you know, I started in 2019. So that first draft with Adley going number one overall, that was kind of my initiation and since then this has kind of been Adley's organization he hasn't been on the team but he's been the face of the franchise he was the face of the rebuild and, and so for that arrival to happen uh, I think it, it changed a lot of things they lost that first game they were 16 and 25 at that point but uh, you know had a couple rough weeks after that too uh, Adley did personally so did the team but then they like you mentioned when he took off so did they I think it was like a two-month stretch where the only players who are better than him in uh, Fangraphs, wins above replacement were like Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Nolan Arenado, and Aaron Judge. I, mean, I think Shohei was on that list too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty impressive group that you know he played at that level, and that speaks to what he was doing offensively and defensively. Uh, I think they were on like a ninety-five-ish win win pace in games he was their starting catcher. So uh, you know the hope is that he'll be their starting catcher more regularly next season, just in terms of actually being healthy for the full year and being there from opening day on. But uh, you know, what he does does offensively is a switch hitter, a guy who works counts. Um, that's something the Orioles really lacked over the past three years or the previous three years was 
guys who could make pitchers work and get deep in counts and draw walks and get on base in a variety of ways. And you see that really in, in a lot of the prospects they brought up. Obviously, you see that in Gunnar Henderson. Uh, Kyle Stowers has some of that to his game. Taron Bauer is kind of an underrated guy, but he does the same thing. This is kind of just an organizational philosophy of, of getting guys who work counts, make pitchers work, get on base however they can. And, and Adley obviously best exemplifies that. Oh, for sure. Can you talk a little bit, Nathan, about how many games you think he might get into this year behind the plate? I mean, I know that they don't really have uh, anybody, any other catcher on the roster right now, do they? No. Well, so they have another guy on the 40 who they claimed off waivers from the Reds. So I, I think that situation is going to change over the course uh, of this offseason. I think that's definitely a target area for them. Um, I It's Mark. I'm not, I'm not certain. It's Mark Kowalowski. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but um, he's he's the only other catcher on their 40 man right now. And so. Um, but yeah, so that, that they will add another catcher. You look at last season, they had Robinson Chirinos as kind of a veteran backup guy, and he struggled offensively and defensively, really. So mm-hmm. I think if you can find someone who's a solution on one of those sides, you feel a lot more comfortable giving Adley more DH days. Because I think uh, they were kind of comfortable with the arrangement they had. They might push it more. I think if you ter- look at term in terms of his workload, he was catching pretty regularly. It's not that he was, you know, uh, you know, the seven games a week, so to speak, if he's catching four to three, I think it was more five to two more often than not. And he was in the lineup practically every day. If, if he wasn't catching, he was DHing. So I, I think he'll be in there a ton. I don't have an idea of an exact number, but I think you can expect him to be a pretty regular guy. Like I don't think he'll be necessarily given he's a guy who's so early in his career, hasn't necessarily earned or received that big contract yet. Um, he, he's not going to be a JT Romero type, so to speak, but mm-hmm. I think he will be someone who who's beyond the, behind the plate pretty regularly. And, um, and is going to be in the lineup even when he's not. All right, yeah, and you mentioned Gunnar Henderson, uh, who was another uh, foundational piece here that um, you know the Orioles are going to be relying on moving forward. Can you tell us a little bit about what um, the impact that he had on the team last year, and and what is what do you see as the outlook for him this season? Yeah, I think it kind of speaks speaks to the state of the organization that you know I talked about how in those first forty games, everyone was like, "Where's Adley? Where's Adley?" it basically transitioned right after that to where's Grayson, yeah. where's Grayson Rodriguez. And then once mm-hmm. Grayson got hurt, it was basically where's Gunner. Cause Gunner, you know, was tearing it up in double a buoy to start the year, basically forced their hand to send him to triple a. And then he kind of did the same thing. They still waited long enough to make sure he retains his rookie eligibility going into 2023. But he just played so impressively for a, a kid his age, basically. And he's 21 years old drafted out of high school was really young back in 2019 was their second round pick. And, then he basically replaces Adley directly as the number one prospect, not only in the organization, but in baseball. So just a really impressive talent. Uh, I think one of the things that's most remarkable to me about, about him and, and it kind of speaks to what he might be able to do in 2023. You look at him in the end of last season in 2021. Uh, he, you know, starts the year, uh, in uh, Demarva, I believe, low, Demar- low A Demarva goes up to high A Aberdeen and then spends most of the season there, has some struggles. And then he ends the season with uh, a week or so in double A buoy, um, gets the opportunity to play for the Bay Sox in the playoffs. And he's, he's, he does okay. He's not necessarily tearing the cover off the ball. He has some, a, a bit of success, but then he's able to take that brief experience, carry that through his offseason, and then he just, you know, dominates in Bowie uh, to start 2022, like I said. And, and so I think that speaks to kind of the, the person he is, the player he is, that growth mindset that he has to take this experience he had where he, he was really impressive. You know, he came out and, mm-hmm. and really made an impact right out of the gate. Uh, really played ter- played terrifically defensively left side of the infield as well. So I-, I think it speaks to what he can do in 2023 when you look at if he's able to build on his experience in the way he did last year from going from buoy to buoy. If he can do that going from Baltimore to Baltimore, it obviously be tougher, tougher pitching. They'll adjust. 
Uh, but I think, you know, he's a really impressive talent and it's, it's no wonder that, you know, as people do way too early, you know, rookie of the year rankings that he's at the top of most of, the, most mm-hmm. of those lists. Yeah. And he, he's a player that fantasy baseball players are, um, you know, naturally they, they've fallen in love with, uh, he's going to the top 100 of early drafts this year. And, uh, something I was, we'll talk more about this, Mike, but something when I was looking at, uh, Gunner's profile is that his, uh, his ground ball rate and his K rate are both, I guess, a little bit elevated for, um, it's talking strictly from a fantasy angle. Like he has like right. a 60% ground ball rate. K rate is around 26%. Uh, but what I'm hearing from you, Nathan, is that this is someone who really has a growth mindset. So do you see uh, like those areas that Gunner would be the type of player that he's going to attack that and, and look to improve in those areas? Yeah, yeah. Just to give you guys like an example, um, he was someone who really struggled with the high fastball in 2021. And then he spent a ton of time working to address that weakness. So I think he's a guy who um, and this is, again, a big organizational thing, but you find your individual deficiency and you attack it. You work to improve at it. And I think Gunner, when you look at look at him, I, I Mike Elias, uh, the Orioles GM, said um, this was still when Gunner was in double A. But he said, you know, that he's kind of a, a, a you know, a flagpole um, for what they want to do organizationally in terms of develop, you know, a second round pick out of a small school in Alabama. And then all of a, sudden, a couple of years later, he's the number one prospect in baseball. So I think it speaks to. Um, both Gunner and the organization in terms of what they're able to do. So, um, you know, I don't want to make any promises about Gunner's uh, fantasy draft stock, just given that he is going to be a player in his first major league season. Pitchers are going to learn from his stint in the majors and and see how to attack him differently. But I also think he's the type of player and he's shown he's the type of player who can take how they're attacking him and learn from it and, and and counter attack, so to speak. Okay. One last thing I want to follow up specifically on him and then also apply it to the team in general. How aggressive do you see him being on the base pass this year? Yeah, I think uh, especially when you look at the the bigger bases and, and some of the other rule changes that are in place, I think he's a guy who can um, get up to 15 steals. Maybe uh, he, he wasn't um, huge in that category when he came up at the end of the season. Um, but I think the Orioles in particular, a big base running aggressiveness team. You've got Jorge Mateo, who led the league in steals. Cedric Mullins was one behind. So I think that's a big part of their game, um, mm-hmm. just given that they've had some struggles in, in stringing hits together historically. Um, so I think if you're able to get an extra base here, an extra base there, that goes a long way. So I think that's definitely uh, an aspect of his game. Um, and as he gets you know, more adjusted, as you know, the game changes, as we'll see this next year, I think that'll be a big part of it. Nathan, one of the questions that I have about, about the whole situation with with Gunner is where's he going to play? I mean, I think outside of where you guys are at in Baltimore out here in the Midwest, people are not really sure where he, I mean, obviously he fits into the equation as a, a star on the team, but do you see him as a shortstop? Do you see him more at third base? What do you, what do you see them using him uh, this year? I think he'll definitely be on the left side of the infield. Um, they did experiment a bit with him in AAA before calling him up at first base at second base, but his futures at, on the left side of the infield, I think he can be a plus shortstop and a plus plus third baseman. Uh, in, in terms of which of those spots exactly he plays, I think there's a potential for him to spend enough time at both, have eligibility at both for sure. Um, I think it depends also on what the Orioles end up doing this offseason and how they kind of decide to handle some of those new rule changes. You look at Jorge Mateo as a great speed guy. Maybe you, um, he was, you know, was a fielding Bible Bible award winner at shortstop, best shortstop defensively in baseball. So he's a guy who I think you're happy to have there. Ramon Arias obviously was a gold glove third baseman. So the Orioles have two pretty talented other infielders. 
Um, but they also now have a clear opening at second base. Maybe you put Mateo there, let him use his range there, put Gunner at short, let Ramon stay at third. Um, maybe you just, you know, find a second baseman in free agency. Uh, you put, let Jorge continue to do his thing at shortstop. You let Gunner handle third and, and fill in when Jorge needs a day off. Maybe something else happens entirely. And, you know, they have got a pretty deep stockpile of young infield prospects. And I think it's possible they trade some of those guys as they, as they look to add in other areas. But uh, just speaking broadly, I think that there's enough flexibility within Gunner and his game that um, if he needs to play second base, he could. But I think his home is definitely going to be on the left side of the infield long term. It's really interesting because I don't think anybody outside of maybe where you guys are at thought that those guys were as good of players as they showed last year. Yeah, yeah, there, it's it's a definitely an interesting mix. You know, I think Ramon Arias showed a little bit of of talent offensively in in twenty twenty one. He wasn't great. Uh, in terms of the advanced metrics, because he was playing a lot of shortstop, he was playing a lot of second base, but they really let him have a home at third base uh, this past season. He still moved around a little bit, but uh, he really showed what he could do at third base, deservedly won a gold glove. I think unexpectedly, just given that he didn't have the innings that some of the other guys did, but really impressive in, in more limited time. Uh, and then Mateo, I think, really surprised everyone. Obviously, I, you, you kind of could tell the package was there. Um, and when he came over on, on waivers at the end of the 2021 season, he really made an impression on the Orioles and their staff, uh, just in terms of Again, the skill set. He was at one point the Yankees' number one prospect ahead of Aaron Judge, ahead of Gary Sanchez. So uh, there's a guy with with some pedigree. He just hadn't necessarily gotten that extended playing time, that extended opportunity. You look at it before he came to Baltimore. He was a guy who was in San Diego and was kind of being used as a defensive replacement, a pinch hitter, a pinch runner, playing a lot of outfield. He hadn't really gotten to just be a shortstop, which is his natural position, which he had, you know, grown up playing. And, and the Orioles said, Hey, you're our shortstop. You're a guy. We're going to give you that opportunity. And, and it, it, it paid off in a lot of ways. Again, it was terrific defensively, uh, led the league seals. The, the bat is definitely a big question. He had a, a, you know, a stretch where he's pretty successful, but he also has had some pretty significant swing and miss and chase issues. So I think, you know, if, if he's able to take another step forward and is able to be, you know, if you're able to mix his defensive skill set with his base running skill set with a, modest offensive approach you've got a really really good player it's just a matter of can he get to that modest point um and then ramon i think offers a lot in terms of the bat so i think they have some flexibility here in terms of if they were to sign another infielder they could find space for both of those guys um and they both have skill sets that that would enable them to fit into a bench or a part-time role for sure so we covered adley we covered gunner got to talk about grayson uh obviously one of the top pitching prospects in baseball Tell us, what do you think are the chances that Grayson uh, breaks camp with the team this year? I mean, I think if he's healthy, I think they're pretty high. I don't think that he has much else to show in AAA. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michael Elias has been was pretty direct at the end of the season. He, he he hopes he's in the rotation, and he thinks there's a very high likelihood of that. And so I think there's the added benefit now of, and this kind of applies to the situation with what they did with Gunner and, and waiting to call him up when they did, of the extra draft pick for the team that, you know, if a team has a, a top prospect, on their opening day roster and that player's wins rookie of the year, that team gets an extra draft pick. So I think there's incentive now for teams. Mm-hmm. There's a big question coming into this season. How would the Orioles handle Adley? And then it kind of, it was rendered mute, mute pretty quick mm-hmm. when he hurts his uh, tricep. So we didn't really necessarily get to see what is the Orioles philosophy on this new rule? Do they still try to, you know, effectively manipulate the player's service time? Do they go for the extra draft pick? And now I think we'll, we'll see with Gunner that they'll do that. You know, Grayson, I think gives them that opportunity as well was added to their 40 man roster to, protect from the rule five draft i think dl hall um is if he's in the top 100 he, he would qualify the same so i, I think that they're going to be able to have a, a 
you know, you look at this last year's team, it was really young. Um, and they were able to call up Adley and they called up Gunner and he had Stowers and Bob. But I think this is really the year you see that that big wave, that big infusion of of you know, kind of the fruits of their efforts. You'll get a full year of Gunner, a full year of Adley, possibly a full year of Grayson. Uh, you know, Colton Cowser, who's another another, you know, first round pick, could push for the majors at some point midseason. I, I just think there's a big collection of talent that is that is pushing and is gonna mm-hmm. join a, a team that last year was the best team in the American League, not make the playoffs. Knowing that Nathan, you know, they have a pretty wide open palette here in terms of what they could do in free agency. Do you see them going after a top of the rotation type of starter? Uh, For example, a, you know, maybe like a Carlos Rodon or somebody like that to try to give them uh, that veteran presence that they seem to sort of be lacking on their pitching staff? Yeah, if you look at, you know, if you were to look at fan graphs and look at roster resource right now and look at their projected rotation, I think their top starter is Kyle Bradish. And that's no offense to Kyle. He had a great second half, but he's going to be a second year pitcher. Dean Kramer is a third year pitcher. Austin Both was a really rough reliever and had success after coming over on waivers. But there's just like to your point, there's a lot of question marks in those rotate in that rotation. They've got a, a good group of guys, a guy, you know, some guys who had stretches of success last season. But and, and then you obviously throw in Grayson, who can be, you know, hopefully develop into that type of starter. DL, who can potentially develop into that type of starter. But you, you look at it, there isn't a guy who you'd say, yeah, that's their opening day starter. John Means isn't going to be back. He's still recovering from Tommy John surgery. So there, there isn't a clear top number one, you know, guy who you'd give the ball to on opening day, guy who you'd give the ball to in the first game of a playoff series. And I think they need that. I think if they're going to, if they're serious about ending, then they need that. And whether it becomes through free agency or it comes through trade, like I think that's, the most obvious area that can make an addition and improve this team. Um, you know, Michael Elias said after the trade deadline, after he moved away a couple pieces without really getting anything back for the major league team, you know, he said it's liftoff from here. And so I'm very curious to see what in actuality liftoff means. Um, obviously when you're talking about a team that's, you know, in the bottom two or three of major league payroll, it doesn't take too much to get off the ground from that point. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for them. There's a lot of room to grow. And so it, it just depends on how, intense they want to be about it but i think that there's an opportunity for them to definitely make a statement and if they want to be a team that's contending for the al east there's there are moves to make that can make that a possibility yeah it, it seems they are on the uh the right path here i mean they've got such a uh an influx of talent coming here i mean do you think that they're looking at more like 2024 as the year to go all in or do you think you do you hold open the possibility that they may make a move here uh, before this season and, and like you said, make a statement. Well, I think they're in win now mode. Like I think there's a desire to actually compete in 2023 that hasn't existed in prior off seasons. So I think that, you know, they haven't signed a free agent to a multi-year deal under Michael Elias. And I think that's going to be required. You know, they obviously, they haven't traded for a, you know, established major league player during his tenure. So I think those are two things that are going to have to change this off season. Um, they have set themselves up now to, you know, they've promised an increase in payroll. They've said, you know, like I said, they've said it's lift off from here. Um, I think they've positioned themselves to now kind of have to. You're coming off a season where, again, best team in the American League by record and not make the postseason. You have a trade deadline where you don't, you aren't buyers or sellers. And, and so I think the fan base that has now sat through, um, you know, the four rebuilding seasons, if you include 2018 and in that, which isn't necessarily fair, but if you look at 2018 to 2021, three 100 loss seasons. And the only exception was a 60 game season in total. So I, I just think that this team is, is, is in a position now where it can compete. 
it's in a division, obviously, that's really tough to win in. You've got the Yankees and Red Sox, who are always going to be good teams. Obviously, you know, the the Blue Jays had a couple years head start on them in terms of adding a wave of young talent. And the Rays are just kind of consistently good, consistently competitive, and kind of a model franchise for what the Orioles admittedly are trying to build. And, and so it's a tough situation to be in. But the Orioles, obviously are going to have the opportunity. They showed what they could be last year with without effectively trying to be a competitive team. And so now the opportunity is there when, if you're able to put a little effort in, I think there's just pressure on them in terms of what, you know, a fan base is going to feel. But I think that, you know, there's a responsibility on them, I think, to take that next step. Please, I wanted to follow up. You mentioned John Means coming back from Tommy John surgery. Do you have an estimate of, of when do you think we're going to see him back on the mound? Yeah, I think I would know a little more in a week. That's definitely a question I'll be asking Michael Elias at the winter meetings coming up here. But uh, nothing definitive. He is throwing. So obviously that's a good sign. But I would expect sometime, uh, you know, June, July at the earliest. Um, I think that would be that would be a huge addition, obviously, to their rotation. That'd be, you know, if you're able to make a, you know, get star basically the trade depth, so to speak, I think that's a great opportunity for them. But uh, in terms of what he's able to do, what he's able to provide, uh, you know, we'll see, you never know how oh, guys are going to bounce back from this, but you know, he's a guy who has meant a lot to this team over the course of the rebuild and getting him back will be really significant for this team. Absolutely. Nathan, could you talk a little bit about the outfield situation there too, with Baltimore? I mean, obviously, uh, most people around that follow know Cedric Mullins and have seen the two really good years that he's put together, but they also have some other interesting guys there like Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander. Do you see those guys being the starting three or do you see other people kind of uh, getting their foot in the door here? I'm thinking of Stowers, maybe Daz Cameron getting an opportunity, kind of uh, not a much ballyhooed signing there, but they brought him in as well with another guy who is a high draft pedigree like you were talking about before with some of the infielders that they have. How do you see that outfield situation shaking out? Yeah, I think as of right now, it's it's pretty easy to predict that it would be Hayes, Bullens, Santander. Obviously, I think Santander could get some time in the DH spot. You obviously want to leave that with some flexibility so you can put Rutschman there when you need to. Uh, I think Kyle Stowers is a guy who came up at the end, and at the, end of the year and really impressed. Um, he didn't get a whole ton of opportunities early on after his initial call-up, but once he was playing, when he did play, he was really impressive. Austin Hayes is a fascinating case to me because he was really, really good into June, into late June, hit for the cycle, and then his season kind of fell apart. A couple of days after that, he he made a dive in Chicago, hurt his wrist, and it seemed to affect him a little bit. But then the big issue was in talking with him was that he just had trouble getting rediscovering his full mechanics. He was mm-hmm. out of balance. He was trying to just um so he, he knew what the issue was. He just it's hard in the middle of the season to correct some of these things. So really struggled in the latter half of the season. Um, I, I thought he was an interesting tender situation in terms of arbitration because his uh, MLB trade rumors projection was a little over three million. And so I wondered, you know, are the Orioles going to be willing to make that kind of investment for a guy who might not be a starting outfielder for them? But I, the fact they did, I think, speaks to them hoping to go into the season with him in, in a regular role. It is possible that develops into some kind of platoon. He is right handed. Sowers is left handed. There's some opportunities there. Um, I think Ryan McKenna is a guy who. Um, is kind of the ideal fourth outfielder for them. Just what he he does, you know, the coaching staff's a big fan of him. They, they call him the Ferrari. Freddie Gonzalez, the bench coach, would go up to Brandon Hyde and be like, hey, I got the Ferrari in the garage for you whenever they need <laughs> a pinch runner or a defensive replacement. So uh, he's a guy who I think brings a lot of value. I am interested to see how they how they view Daz Cameron. Obviously, uh, just a, a waiver claim from Detroit, but a guy who Michael Elias drafted. Uh, he was the third pick from Houston in that draft where they got Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker in the top five. 
uh, and then went to Detroit in the Justin Verlander deal. So obviously a, a player who, as you said, you know, has some pedigree and, uh, you know, I obviously has some ties to Mike Elias and that's, that necessarily hasn't, hasn't necessarily been, uh, you know, a, a boost for the players who that, who, for whom that's been the case. They've had some other, um, players who are connected to Mike Elias's Astros tenure here in Baltimore. I mean, Rio Ruiz got an extended run, but there, there have been some other guys who have come through who really haven't gotten much of an opportunity or didn't take advantage of their opportunity. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see, obviously, being a waiver claim, he's, he might be near the bottom of the 40-man the roster. So who knows exactly how much of an extended opportunity he'll get this offseason to even make it to spring training necessarily. But obviously, a guy the Orioles were intrigued by the tools. Uh, you know, Mike Elias and, you know, some other Orioles, you know, leaders probably have some familiarity with him and, and believe that there's something they can tap into. It's really interesting because, you know, like I, I keep saying, outside of where you're at, here out here in the, in the Midwest, there are a lot of people who think that Santander would be a trade candidate. And I don't see that being the po- a possibility for that. Well, I shouldn't say not a possibility, but not likely that they would be looking to move a guy who's, you know, a middle of the order hitter at this time when they're developing that talent around him. Yeah, you know, switch hitter. I think he led all switch hitters in, in home runs. And he, he's a guy who, you know, Brandon Hyde has kind of preached this during his tenure about the difficulty of for a major league hitter to learn plate discipline at the major league level. You look at guys like Austin Hayes, like Ryan Mountcastle, like like Santander, they came up to the majors. They didn't really focus on that um, during their climb of, of, you know, working the count and drawing walks. That wasn't a big part of their game. And Santander is the only one that as they're now implementing these things and these these efforts at the major league level who really developed in that way. Uh, you know, he saw a big boost this season in his walk rate um, and really just became a kind of a complete hit hitter. Um, and so obviously you have some defensive question marks with him. He was a gold glove finalist a couple years ago, but it was, again, it was in 2020 in the shortened season. So there are, I think some questions, I think they would love to keep the DH spot open for him and have some flexibility there. But I also think they believe he can handle the job. He did work some at first base. So who knows how that kind of factors in. Maybe he and Mountcastle pair over there in some fashion. Never played in a game there, but it was just something he was kind of keeping in his back pocket. But he's a guy who, you know, Michael Elias said at the GM meetings told MLB Network that, you know, he's a guy that they see sticking around. But at the same time, and this applies to everyone in the organization, they listen. They they do their due diligence. If someone calls and says, hey, we want Anthony Santander, like Michael Elias is going to take that phone call and hear what they have to say. But at the same time, he's not necessarily – He's not calling people and saying, "Hey, I have Anthony Santander. I'd love to give him to you." Right, so right. I, I think I think that he's an interesting piece for them. If you're able to have you know two switch hitters in the middle of your order with him and Rutschman, I think that's a really nice combination. And we saw that this past season. I want to ask you about Felix Bautista. Uh, is he the for sure closer next season? I also want to ask you about his entrance music too. Um, do you have any insight into the origin of that or how that came about? Yeah, in terms of the, you know, what he provides in terms of save opportunities, I think he'll be the guy. Hard to see him, you know, letting that go. Obviously, an interesting bullpen situation for the Orioles. We're going to last offseason. It wasn't, or going to last spring training, it wasn't really clear who their closer was going to be. And then Jorge Lopez got the job and just kind of ran with it. And then once he was traded, Felix was kind of the automatic, okay, well, we'll just bump that guy up then. And then in terms of that, I think it was something they had talked about where, you know, they, they start off with the Omar whistle from The Wire, obviously a Baltimore-based show. And Um, and so I think that there was, you know, some calling for that because with, with Lopez, they just like put fire on the video board. It was pretty plain. It wasn't necessarily anything specific, but then Felix gets the job. And I think it was like his third save opportunity. Um, all of a sudden, you know, that you hear the Omar whistle and then there's flashing lights going off and they have this orchestral music going and there's video of him striking out a ton of dudes. It's, it's intense. It's cool to see them get into it and realize that, you know, that there is some, there's fan engagement elements to that. You know, people were super into it. 
um, in terms of, you know, just seeing the Orioles do something like that and having a player to do that for. I think it's hard when you look at what the Orioles have had to do in terms of player marketing. It's really hard to market players when you don't know if they'll actually stick around. Like Trey Mancini was the most mar- one of the most marketable player marketable players in baseball, but he you knew he was going to get traded at some point. So it's just like a really tough situation to deal with. And um, I think it's cool that now, you know, you have a, a rookie closer who's going to be the closer again this next season. Um, and, you know, I assume that entrance might even get upticked a little bit, but it'll be back, I'm sure, in 2023. Um, I just think it's just it's just another sign, I think, of the excitement building in this organization. Yeah, I mean, it is so cool just just to watch it, uh, you know, on video. But I can't imagine like being in the park for that must be. Well, the, the first time they did it, I was like taken aback. I was like, what is going yeah. on? What is happening right now? Because it was so <laughs> unexpected. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit before to Nathan about uh, Jorge Mateo. Um, and one of the things that I think a lot of uh, fantasy players worry about with him is the hit tool. I mean, obviously, we know that the speed is there. Do you see him making some adjustments? You're talking about how, you know, system-wide the Orioles really at work with these guys on making those adjustments and attacking weaknesses. What would you say his biggest weakness is as a hitter and and what he would be doing at this point this winter to try to make that a better um, skill for himself uh, in the 2023 season? Yeah, I, I know he had a lot of trouble with, with sliders down in the way. So I know that that was a big focus with the Orioles hitting coaches is getting him to see that pitch. And it seemed to it, there was a point like I said there was like a month or so where he really took off offensively and really seemed to be a, you know a player who was playing that great defense had that base running tool and then had um, you know a nice offensive package as well and it just kind of faded off so outside of that stretch I don't think he was all that impressive I think he hit just barely over two hundred um, so there there's definitely some concerns there but I think if you know especially when you again you look at what he could do in the stolen base category I just when you talk about um, you know, a guy who stole, I think it was what, 30, 35 bases this past season. And now that's going to be even easier to steal bases, going to be shorter distance. I, I think, you know, obviously that depends on him getting on base, but I think there's just, there's just a lot of value there in what he could do. Um, obviously I don't think he should be, you know, maybe your top pick in that category, given that he's going to, even if he is going to near the league leaders, there's going to be offensive guys who are going to do more offensively. But, um, I think he should get regular playing time, at least as it stands right now. Obviously, the Orioles can make a couple trades or sign a couple guys and completely change their infield picture. But as it stands right now, I think he's a guy who's going to offer a lot in the stolen base category and then be enough, do enough in the other areas to maybe make, maybe make an impact. Yeah, it seems like Mateo and, you know, we mentioned Gunnar Henderson and just uh, in general, like the team may be. Uh, they were aggressive on the base pass and they may be more so this coming year with the rule changes. You know, I'm wondering how much the uh, the dimensions at Camden Yards uh, are going to play into that or whether they played into that last year. Just knowing that the fences were moved back, home runs were not as easy to come by. Just if you could tell me, Nathan, what was the teams, if you spoke to any of the, the hitters like uh, about this, what was their impression of the changes to the ballpark dimensions? Uh, I mean, just a general like unhappiness about it. For the most yeah, part, yeah. Like I just uh, wondered, you know, was there like feedback, like right. you know? Which well, so I mean, you look at a guy like I think Ryan Mountcastle is the best example of it as a right-handed power hitter. Um, his his kind of standard statement about it was that it 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 is what it is. He couldn't change anything about it. Uh, Trey Mancini, when he was in Baltimore, kind of exemplified the same thing. You know, those two guys ended up, I believe, if you look at Statcast, like the difference between actual home runs and expected home runs, though, like they were in the top three of difference between those two numbers, and so they got. They are robbed by Baltimore quite a bit. 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, Ryan Mountcastle called it the Great Wall of China, but I don't think he considers it like <laughs> a natural wonder of the world. So well, it's not a natural wonder. I don't think he considers it a wonder of the world. Um, that's that's just to say that, you know, they, they had a tough time with it. Like it obviously impacted the numbers. If, again, you look at some of the, you know, deeper statistics with Mountcastle, his expected slugging percentage was really strong, but he, again, had the largest gap between expected slugging percentage and actual slugging percentage. So there's some bad luck here. I think some hitters are going to adjust. Um, I, you know, the Orioles are going to consider, I think, making adjustments, not so much in 2023, but beyond that, there's a lot of other things they want to do to that ballpark, uh, assuming they stick around long term, um, which you everything they have said indicates they will. And so I think that, you know, at some point we will see other adjustments, not only maybe to left field, but other parts of the ballpark as they do other, you know, fan centric changes to the, to the stadium. But uh, I think in, in 2023, again, like it, it, that's when you, when you, I, I think when you look at, the Orioles possible lineup, you look at Adley Richmond's a switch hitter, Anthony Santander's a switch hitter, Gunnar Henderson's left-handed, um, Kyle Stowers is left-handed, Taryn Vavra's left-handed. You have a, a you know a guy who's gonna be pushing for major league time and Colton Kowser is left-handed. So there's I think um yeah, I think it's well timed for them in terms of what they have coming. I think it's uh obviously unfortunate for guys like Austin Hayes or I, I didn't mention Cedric Mullins earlier is a left-handed hitter. Um, but it's unfortunate for guys like Austin Hayes and, and Ryan Mountcastle, who, um, you know, Ryan Mountcastle is going to be really dependent on home runs to be a successful major league hitter. And he's playing in a ballpark that is designed to take them away from him. So um, it's it's tough for him, tough for his game. But at the same time, like he said, it is what it is. They're going to have to deal with it. Opponents have to deal with it, too. And it benefits their pitchers. And given what Orioles pitchers dealt with in 2019 through 21, all in all, it, it feels like a net neutral. If you dive into the numbers, it actually hurt the Orioles more than hurt visitors. But that's a one-season example, and and obviously over time, that's going to change. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and you bring up Mountcastle. It's funny, like with all these really good young players coming up, I feel like, he, at least in a fantasy perspective, I don't know about in Baltimore, but he's almost like a forgotten man, you know? And he's like such a young player, too. And, and you know, I'm wondering, uh, do you think, Nathan, is, is there another level to his game? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I just mentioned, his expected statistics were really good this past season. And he wasn't just having lo- bad luck to left field. You know, there were balls that he crushed a center that got, you know, robbed of the wall or another ballpark. Like, I think he spent all of September, like, rounding for first base and then just staring out <laughs> to the outfield in disbelief. Like, he was just like, how is how are these getting caught? Like, I think there's a clip. And I never confirmed with Ryan specifically, but it, it definitely looks like he just, like, stared out to center field. I think it was like Kike Hernandez robbed him a home run. And he just stared at the center field and he just went, I hate baseball. And it was what it looked like he said. Because he just was like on this, he was just crushing the ball and all of them were getting caught. So I think that um, there's definitely another level to his game. He does have some issues with with Chase. He does have, um, you know, a, a relatively meager walk rate. Like there are areas to improve in his game. He's improved a ton defensively. So like to the Orioles, he brings a ton of value. Um, but I, I think he's a guy who, yeah, I think there is another level. He's a young player. Um, he's going to work on his swing decisions again, an organizational philosophy. And, and if the luck starts to break his way again, if you see that ex- his actual slugging percentage get closer to that expected slugging mark, you're going to have a really, really good player on your hands. All right. Well, we are going to be wrapping up in a, in a minute here. Uh, thank you so much for all of the information that you gave us. Uh, you told us a good story there about Ryan Mountcastle, but I uh, wonder if we could get one more good story out of you uh, during your time covering the team. Anything fun or interesting that uh, you think our, our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Um, I remember back in 2019 in Anaheim, um, there was a game the Orioles played that went, I believe it was 16 innings. 
And so it started on July 25th and then it was in Anaheim. So it started at, you know, 7 p.m. local time. So then it went into, went past midnight because they didn't have the automatic runner on second rule yet. And uh, my birthday is July 26th. So I literally turned 24 watching this baseball game that ended in Stevie Wilkerson, who was like a utility man, outfielder, second baseman, recording the first save by a position player in Major League history. And so <laughs> I remember that. I do remember that. So yeah, I, my editor was like in Baltimore and it was like 4 a.m. And I'm like, I have to write about history. Like, what are you talking? And it was my birthday and it was like crazy. And it annoys me because everything you look at says that Stevie Wilkerson recorded that save on July 25th. But literally across the nation, it was July 26th. So that's that's what I have to say about that. That's so wild. You and Stevie Wilkerson are forever linked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the uh, Orioles beat writers, whenever he wishes me happy birthday, he says happy birthday for me and Stevie Wilkerson. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, we will leave it there again, Nathan. Thank you so much. If you could please tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, yeah. I tweet it all out at, at Nathan S. Ruiz. And if you want to get it from the source, you can go to BaltimoreSun.com or baltimoresun.com slash sports slash Orioles. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, you were terrific. Thank you so much for being on with us. We've been following your work for a long time, and we're thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks so much. We are going to take a quick break. We are back. So, Mike, we had a great interview with Nathan Ruiz. Uh, but before we move forward and, and talk about some ADP and all that fantasy related stuff, I, I just want to say I'm I'm a little disappointed in you. And, and let me tell you why. Um, you haven't said anything about the hat that I'm wearing. Um, you didn't tell me anything about how it looked on me. You didn't ask me why I'm wearing it. And obviously, if you're listening on podcasts, you can't see it. So, I'll let you know, I'm wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat. And yes, I am a Yankee fan. But, you know, I, I thought I would get something from you, Mike. What, what's going on here? So, I noticed it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I wondered to myself, quietly, right. why a lifelong Yankees fan would be wearing an or- Orioles hat, a team mm-hmm. that's in their division, then I realized that you're probably like me and you probably have 60 different baseball hats laying around your house. Mm-hmm. And to get in good with Nathan, you decided to wear a, an Orioles hat. You did not mention your Yankees love uh, predominantly within the show. And uh, I, I love it. I think it looks great. So it reminds me of the 1983 Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken, Rick Dempsey, Mike Flanagan Orioles, man. That orange brim, old school Oriole. I love it. It's great. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I do like And it looks great on you. I mean, you don't have a huge head like I do. So yeah. you can wear a normal hat and it looks good on you. You've got a good, you know, good face. I, I know people don't necessarily know what you look like, but the people who know the Taurus takes on Twitter know what you look like. But you have a, a full beard, a wonderful face, and a great sized head for a hat like that. I could not wear a hat like that. It would look like a, a little beanie on top of my head. So... Uh, well, well, thank. I'm glad I brought it up. I, my self-esteem is, is <laughs> dramatically improved, especially I don't know if you saw on Twitter, someone um, uh, made a comment about my beard. Did you see this? No, I didn't. What did they say? It's You have yeah, a wonderful I, beard. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not the most like uh, prideful man, let's say, 
but I am pretty proud of the beard that I keep. You know, I put yeah. a lot of work into it. Um, and someone commented on my last video that I, <laughs> I had the worst beard line that they've ever seen. Really? And that I needed professional help for that. Do they mean like you need a professional mental help or professional no, no, help like for professional, the beard? Like a, like a, a barber. Which, by oh. the way, I've been going to the same barber since I was 16. He's like a brother to me. So yeah, no, personally. listen, I think you're I think your barber is probably an amazing person. I mean, not, number one, he's got to put up with you. Number two, yeah. he's your beard is is on point, man. Like, yeah. it's not like the old man beard like I have where I refuse to, you know, I refuse to trim it or shave it. You know, and that, the last time I shaved was when the boys won the championship and less than 10 days later, I have this back. You know, like I know that I know the Twitterverse can't see it, but it's the salt and pepper, you know, mostly mostly salt, unfortunately, uh, these days. But I, I won't do anything to it. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm just lazy. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate um, the kind words. Uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked by that one. But uh, yeah, l- let me just quickly before we move on, I just want to address the hat and, and give a plug to where I, I bought it. Um so the reason I'm wearing this hat, it wasn't because of the podcast. It, it was just coincidence that I found this hat a few days before we, we recorded the Orioles podcast. Um, but if you know anything about me, it's that I don't pass up a good deal. You know, I and I think partially this is why I'm a good fantasy player. Like mm-hmm. I throw out my emotional attachments. I throw out my biases and I take advantage of the bargains that come my way. Now, this hat was a bargain for $4 at a local $4? Store. $4 at, it's like a thrift store slash discount store. It's called In the Attic, and it's about 10 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. And, and mind you, this is a brand new hat. It's not used. $4. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, brand new. Tags on it. This place, In the Attic, I don't know if you saw my tweet, but this place is an absolute effing treasure. I, I sent out a tweet of some of the things that I bought there last weekend. And for those of you who didn't see it, let, let me just break this down for you. I left the store that day. They had a Black Friday deal. I left the store with a Mariah Carey All I Want for Christmas t-shirt, a wrench, four extra large cans of tuna, and embrace yourself here, a Vin Baker Seattle Supersonics mini bobblehead from the year 1999. Okay. Wow. Soak that in for a sec because I'm confident that that is the only store on the face of the planet where you can buy that combination of things. That's for real. Last time I was there, I walked out with a 15 pound bag of jasmine rice. And it's, this wasn't like a Costco bag. This was Mm -hmm. like, it was like one of those bags. I think it was like from a Chinese restaurant. Like it was in Chinese. Um, it was absurd. My friend laughed at me, but one thing you got to know about us Puerto Ricans, we never have enough rice. So I ate all of it. So uh, can I ask a follow-up to that? Yeah. You know, I'm a middle-aged white guy living in suburban America, right? So let me ask a question. What what did Mrs. Torres think of these fines last week? Because I noticed that she didn't comment on the Twitter about what your fines like, yeah. how did she feel about the Vin Baker coming home with the Mariah Carey T-shirt thing? Like, did she even know that that happened? Or the Vin Baker, like, she just kind of shook her head because yeah, I mean, yeah, it was so absurd. The box was even. Now I'll admit that was a bad deal. I paid six dollars for that. 
Uh, I'm a little. You paid more for a Vin this. Baker bobblehead than you did for the hat that you're wearing. Yeah, which is yeah, that was a little ridiculous. But I mean, <laughs> that's where else are you going to find a Vin Baker mini bobblehead? They also had I didn't, a Larry. I didn't Walker's. even know they existed. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Um, but uh, they also had a Larry Walker starting lineup figurine. Uh, so so listen, if you ever come to New York, you stay with me. All right, we skip. We're not doing Statue of Liberty. We're not doing all no. the other tourist stuff. You come up to visit me. We'll go to In the Attic, and I'll buy you that Larry Walker starting line of figuring. Okay, it's on me. Okay, deal. I'm all gonna right. be. I'm gonna. Be, I'm. I think I will be in New York this spring. Honestly. Yeah. All right. Yes, well, I do. I do. We're gonna have right. to hook so up and will, do that. We will coordinate, my friend, and, and we will definitely meet up. But listen, let's jump into some uh, ADP talk. Let's review some of the things that we talked about with Nathan. Um, first question I'm going to throw out to you, Mike, is which Orioles player are you most likely to draft at ADP and why? I, you know, I, I've given this some thought and, and I, I think that, you know, based on what we talked about and, and what Nathan kind of presented to us, I'm really high on Gunnar Henderson. You know, I, I, I think we're, his ADP was somewhere in the 80s, I believe. Last week, last I checked. Um, not 100% sure where it is now. I, I think Rutschman was higher than he was, and I'm not sure that I'm w- willing to take that dive yet. Um, based on the other guys, based on what I think Gunner can do, Nathan kind of shared with us that he thought that Gunner was a pretty safe bet for 15 steals. Um, and we know that the power is there too. So I, I, I think, you know, he's going to be a real, uh, diamond this year. And the other thing that's going to be interesting is, you know, he's going to, it sounds like he might be playing a couple of different spots. We don't really know how that's all going to work out yet. Is he playing shortstop? Is he playing third base? Nathan mentioned second base, maybe, but more likely on the left side of the infield. It's a really intriguing possibility. Um, especially if he gets third base eligibility. Think about what that could do to the third base market a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm with you on Gunner. Uh, I'm excited about him. He's got an ADP. He's going around pick 100. Definitely interested in him at that price. Uh, I put out a, tr- a poll on Twitter, um, uh, gave people three options as far as who they were most interested in at their ADP. I gave them Adley. I think he was going in the 60s. Uh, Gunner around pick 100 and Grayson Rodriguez uh, around pick 200. Yeah. And Gunner, it was a close one. I mean, it got like almost 600 votes and Gunner won slightly. So other people are definitely excited about him. Um, I'm excited about Grayson at that price as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think obviously we, we know he has ace potential. It's just really a matter of how many innings are the Orioles going to get. Uh, Adley, I'm, I'm out on, you know, at that price, I really breaking down his like stack cast metrics and the hard, uh, the quality of contact metrics. I'm not that impressed, uh, to the point where I'm going to push the button at that price. I think there are options after going after Adley, uh, that I'd prefer at catcher at a discount. Uh, Wilson Contreras is going like 30 picks later. Right. Um, you know, I'll even take, uh, big dumper, you know, I you know, Cal Raleigh. <laughs> yes. Uh, pick like 160. It's, you know, I'm just not, um, I'm not crazy about spending that high of a pick on Adley. But yeah, Grayson is the guy that I would love, um, uh, you know, to talk about a little bit more. And Mike, I, um, I didn't tell you this. 
All right. I, and it was killing me all day. I wanted to break this news to you. Um, but, um, I'm going to do it now. I've got a special guest coming on to talk a little bit more about Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, mm. I'm going to give you one guess as to who that might be. Hmm. He's an Orioles fan and he's well known in the fantasy industry. I, I, uh, Mr. Alex Fast? Damn, I was, I, I thought you'd be, you'd struggle a little bit more. You got it, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I got to, I got to meet him in person in Arizona and I took a picture with him and sent it to Jack because Jack didn't believe that I knew anyone who was famous. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm in, the, I'm in the wrong place. I got to go. Uh, I am not supposed to be here right now. Um, <laughs> Hey guys, well, let me give you a me. proper introduction, Alex. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. We are so happy to have you on. Alex Fast, folks, he is the VP at Pitcher List. You've seen his work on Sunday, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, on Masson. He's a sports Emmy recipient, Tout Wars winner, two-time FSWA winner. Jesus Christ, this guy is even more impressive than I realized. We got him here with us to talk to some Orioles. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. How are cool. you doing? I'm just an overweight 34-year-old <laughs> Jewish kid sitting in a dumpy little room. I am none of those things. Uh, but trying, I'm very trying to make sure that the baby stays asleep, right? Yeah. She's napping in the room right now, so I'm okay, actually well, going to take one headphone up. off. No, 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 you're fine. They can't hear you, but I realized I'm probably yelling, so I took one headphone <laughs> off. But yes, the reason that baby is napping is why I'm allowed 10 minutes to talk Orioles baseball. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Love the hat. Uh, and, and I, I heard you guys talking, uh, uh, I'm excited just by the names you're listing and yeah, down to talk some Orioles pitching prospects. So, so Torres, I want to get a shout out here too, because I, I did not know this was happening and then I totally guessed it. Like that's, that's not too bad for an old fat white guy in you know, suburbia over here. Shot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, I'm still awake. I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, let's get right into it. Uh, we were just sure. talking about Grayson Rodriguez uh, currently going uh, early NFBC drafts around pick 200. Um, as an Orioles fan and again, as someone who knows pitching, what are your thoughts on Grayson uh, coming into this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about this yesterday with Nick. Um, we were talking about steamer projections and where we think they're accurate, where we think they're not accurate. And then Justin Choi over at Fangrass released a fantastic article about it that people should go read. But I really actually enjoyed their Grayson Rodriguez projection, which was about a 3.86 ERA. Grayson's the, depending on the website that you're looking at, the first or second best pitching prospect in all of baseball. And there's no question he's ready. He did fantastic last year before he was sidelined with a grade two lat strain. He's got the arsenal, the the, the four seamers fantastic. The slider's great. He's got this change up screwball combination that's really good mm -hmm. for him that people don't seem to talk about enough because they're always focused on the breaking pitches. He himself, in a great article uh, on Fangraphs by David Larilla, said that he thinks it's his, his best pitch. It's his out pitch, the pitch that he goes to most. He, he's ready. Now, at this point, it's just a matter of what that learning curve looks like for him, right? And when from a fantasy perspective, then, it's solely how much it's it's all about your personality and what you want to risk there, right? The mm -hmm. upside is there. The things that we can't quantify are the intangibles, like the mental aspect of the game, right? He seems like he's ready. I, I from what I've heard, he was pissed that he wasn't called up sooner, and then the grade two lat strain happened, and he was even more pissed. He's ready to compete. He's got the personality for it, but you don't know. 
is he an Adley who's able to maybe struggle in the first couple starts and then bounce back and have a really good second half? Or is he, you know, a, a Jared Kalanick who never lived up to the or is yet to live up to the potential that he's had? Obviously, both of those guys are hitters and it's a little bit different. Um, I don't necessarily think as much about like the divisional stuff because the the, the um, schedule is going to be different this year, which is a, a boon for Orioles fans. There's fewer Yankee games. There's fewer Toronto games. Um, if the Red Sox return to form offensively or, you know, make some acquisitions, they're obviously a tough bet. So. You know, I don't know if I need to worry about that as much, but at the end of the day, I know it's kind of a cop out. The Arsenal's there. He seems ready. Second highest K rate in all of baseball uh, in AAA last year behind the other guy that we're going to talk about. It's just a matter of whether or not you think there's going to be a good amount of struggles and he's able to overcome them. But if I had to make a guess innings wise, I'd say maybe 120, maybe, you know, like 120, 100, 120. Um, of like mid three ERA baseball with a good K rate, if I'm being kind of optimistic. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my two cents on Grayson. Okay, thank you for that, Mike. What are your thoughts? Are you are you that personality type to take a risk on Grayson Rodriguez around pick two hundred? How do I follow that up? I mean, that's like well, you can't. But four minutes, four minutes of incredible analysis there from one of the best in the biz. No, I, I, uh, honestly. I, I, this is the type of guy that you take the risk on, you know? I mean, I, I, it depends, I guess, on your league format or whatever. But, you know, it, when you're at that pick already, like, this is the type of guy that you would make that type of bet on, right? I mean, to me, it, the profile is there. Um, I, Alex said everything way better than I can say it. But, I mean, I, I love the idea of the arsenal and the, the K rate. It, it, he looks like he's ready to go, um, especially if they – I, I, I keep wondering if Baltimore is going to try to sign a higher line free agent type of pitcher, top of the rotation kind of guy. Because if he can slot in somewhere and be like, you know, maybe there's two or there's three, then he's not facing, you know, the, the best guy on everybody else's team in the American League East. I mean, I like him even more then. So, yeah, I'm definitely in on, on Rodriguez at this point. Okay, let me give you a couple pitchers going around him. We've got Charlie Morton, Brady Singer, uh, both ahead of him, slightly below him, John Gray, Lance McCullers, a little further down, Frankie Montas. Hmm. Um, hearing who else is around him, we've got Chris Sale going about 15 picks ahead of him. Um, do you feel that his ADP, given where he sits amongst those pitchers, do you feel that's a fair price? I'll, I'll throw it to Alex first. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it is a fair price because you can make a good argument for a lot of a lot of those dudes that you mentioned aside maybe John Gray have had sustained moments of upside, right? Like obviously Charlie Morton uh a, a lot of good moments of upside. Um John Gray has had his moments here and there. Um Sorry, I don't know if I'll bunk my audio just crapped out. I just got a call from my grandma and music started playing at the exact same time for some reason. Um, <laughs> I just hung up on my grandma. So you guys uh, are. Wow, that, that means a lot. My grandma. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, the Frankie Montas, obviously, also moments of, uh, of high upside from him. I think it makes sense. I don't know personally the way that I draft. I might want to go for a guy like Morton. They're very opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there could be some more sustained upside from him. And if Atlanta's risking another one-year deal on him, that leads me to believe that he can still perform at that level. But to answer your question, though, yeah, I do think that kind of makes sense in that area. Um, 
unless it comes to John Gray. That to me seems a little high for him. Yeah, just to wrap this up on Grace, I personally, I I know we talked last episode, Mike, about like these buckets uh, that I tend to draft from. So like the bucket of guy I'm going to reach for, guy I'm going to take at ADP, and guy I'm going to take at a discount. And for me personally, I I think Grayson falls into the the last one. Uh, he's someone that I'm probably I want some exposure to. So you know I. If I do 10 drafts, I'd like to have him on one or two of those teams. Um, but probably I'm going to take him if he falls a little bit. Um, just the innings limit that I, I'm sure he's going to be facing. He also did have the injury last year. Um, so I, I think there's there's definitely a case to be made for both sides. But obviously a, a really exciting pitcher as well. Uh, just like the next pitcher we're going to talk about here, which is D.L. Hall. Mm-hmm. And I was super intrigued, really digging into him, uh, into his profile a little bit more, uh, especially in that limited sample of what he did last season. So, Alex, I'm going to kick it back to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on D.L. Hall, someone who doesn't have the same acclaim as Grayson Rodriguez, but put up some really impressive numbers in his own right? Yeah, had the higher K percentage last year beating Grayson Rodriguez. He was he was the guy who led AAA or the International League in AAA with, with K rate last year, but also had the elevated walk rate. And that, that to me is more difficult to solve, right? I mean, anytime you hear like, oh, this guy's got elite stuff, but we don't really know if he's an elite closer or a very good starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I feel like more often than not, it goes straight to closer. Um, like, or more often than not, they end up in that role at some point, right? And for some reason, I'm thinking about Zach Britton, another famous Orioles prospect who had a lot of shine when he was coming up, never really was able to pan out as a starter. And then all of a sudden, you know, a very, very good reliever. Um, he's got a really interesting profile. Um, there's something I was doing some research before the podcast that I've never seen someone, and I was talking to some buddies about this, and they kind of agreed. Usually for four-seamers, you want a heavy amount of spin efficiency. It's going to increase the amount of rise that you're getting on a four-seamer. It's going to end up at the top of the zone. Your change-up, you often want to be um, a little less spin efficient, have more gyro spin to it. It's going to impact the movement in a different way. Deal Hall's um, profiles are reversed, which I've never really seen before. I was going to do some research after this to see if there's anyone else like this where his changeup is more spin efficient, which means that it actually gets more rise and his fastball is less spin efficient than his changeup, meaning it actually gets a little bit more cut to it. What does all that mean in terms of fantasy? It just means that he's kind of unique. I don't know what that means for his control. I don't know if that's why he has difficulty commanding his pitches every once in a while that very well may not be the case whatsoever it could be a mechanics thing could be something else it's just to me something interesting to note um i'm i'm a little more out on him because i do think he ends up in that kind of reliever role however i will say that like one of the more difficult things to predict from a fantasy standpoint is how organizations are able to work with their pitchers right um two years ago you would never associate the orioles as a team that you would be uh that a pitcher would go to and they would improve right it's it's something that you it's the rays it's the dodgers it's maybe the mariners it's you know um but last year the orioles did a lot of great stuff with crap right Mm -hmm. jordan Lyles is not a great (laughs) pitcher and he had a very good year austin both came over after years of being awful with the Nationals, and they were able to kind of unlock something with him. Even Dean Kramer doesn't have the best underlying stats there, and there were some gems there. So if you're kind of making a case for D.L. Hall, you can say, well, the Orioles are going to be able to know how to fix him. They're going to be able to get that command in line because they've had success, and they're going to be able to make him 
you know, tweak to be able to pull out the best in him. There's the kind of upside for him. But for me, when I see those kind of command issues, it kind of erases how much shine there is um, from the uh, um, from the stuff uh, perspective. The last thing I'll say, though, is I do love what they did with him at the end of the year. And I really wish more organizations did this with starting pitchers where it was like, you're in the pen. You don't have to worry about facing hitters first time through the order. Get used mm-hmm. to the pace of a game at an MLB level. Get used to MLB hitting. Decrease the amount of pressure that's on you. Focus on your stuff, and we'll talk about starting later. Still think he'll crack mm-hmm. the rotation, um, but I really like that approach they took with him. I was wondering about him, too. Um, what you said about the spin rate thing is fascinating. I hadn't picked up on that because I'm not as smart as you are. Um, so, but, but the thing that I think is really fascinating here, too, is could you see them using him as – a stopper, not as a closer. Batista's going to be that guy, but mm-hmm. could they use him as a two inning guy to just come in and say, listen, just blow everybody away for two innings, you know? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, like, it's just the thing of like, we're not going to have any insight into what that timeline is, right? I would be genuinely right. surprised if they didn't give him a chance to start, right? They, they, they still seem committed to wanting him to be a starter. They were very vocal about that last year, right? Like, hey, he's going to the pen for now, but we still want him to be a starter. We still want him to be a starter. We don't know what that, that, how long that string is, right? So it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden he gets three, four, five starts where three walks, four walks, a couple of mm-hmm. runs. They're just like, it's not worth it. Transfer him to the pen. We still got many years of control. And all of a sudden we've got an elite two, three mm-hmm. to get to Bautista or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then the question becomes, is the, the price worth it? And his price right now, I mean, people throw around the, the phrase like, well, he's free. Um, he kind of is. Uh, I know you're still uh, using a pick, which is valuable, but his current ADP, uh, I think over the past, it looks like the past month here is around 580 in like super deep draft champions, you know, 50 round leagues. Um, so, I mean, he is kind of in that in that category of, of being free. I really think that given the skills that we saw, of course, there's that risk that he just ends up in the bullpen or but I think the upside is definitely worth taking a flyer, you know, and just seeing what comes of it. And even if he does, let's say he, that materializes where he comes in for two or three innings uh, in middle relief. I mean, in a draft champions league where you can't make pickups, that could be someone you could throw in your lineup and uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. So um, I, I think I think the price is right, again, just given the skills that we've seen. Are you guys on board with that? I mean, I'm on board then to uh, what I was kind of looking up what you were saying, because I think you brought up an interesting point. Like if you're taking guys, one of one of the approaches that Nick loves to espouse in, in these kind of drafts is like, if you're going to take a guy late, make it against a weaker team too, right? Like give, give someone where they're like, you know, it's going to be a weaker first couple starts and then assess what's going on with them before you determine whether or not you want to drop them. The Orioles open the game, with, open the season, excuse me, with was six consecutive games. So they're not going to have to, they're not going to be able to skip and reset their rotation. If DL Hall does break, he'll probably start with a start against the Rangers, which, you know, they've got two very, very good offensive players. And then we don't know what the rest is yet because they might not be able to spend any more money ever again now that they have, <laughs> you know, DeGrom and, and Semyon and, and um, uh, Seeger. After that, it would likely be the F. That does kind of make it a little bit interesting as a late round flyer if he does indeed crack the rotation as like a four or five Mm -hmm. yeah definitely got to watch uh during spring training i also noticed on uh nick's top 200 just want to plug that quick um he had dl hall in his top 100 he had him at 87 so 
Um, you know, that is uh, another another thing that I pay attention to and, and find encouraging about his prospects for next year. But Alex, I know you got to run. I just want to thank you again and also thank you um, personally here because I mentioned this on our first episode. Part of the reason I'm behind this mic is honestly because of you. And mm-hmm. uh, I talked about this. You had started a mentorship program a couple years ago. And you starting that program really gave me the push to actually um, step forward and, and try to make my way into this industry. So I started writing. I got a gig at Razzball. And that's turned into other things. And now this podcast. So um, thank you so much. Uh, I, I think that was just an amazing thing that you did. So just wanted to take this opportunity to do that. And again, thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. That's, that's very, very kind of you. I appreciate you saying that. I'm sorry. It was such a prick on Twitter via DMs and making you move these big times prick, around left and right. Yeah. Big prick. <laughs> no one's ever said that uh, about me. Usually it's actually very small. Um, <laughs> yeah. um no, but, but, but seriously, I, that, that's very kind of you. And, and I'm happy to come on anytime. Thank you, gentlemen. Sorry I have to run. Well, yeah. Thank you for it. Thank you for coming on. Your reach goes very far in the industry and you're as good of a person as what you appear to be on social media which is not always the truth for many people that chris and i know so thank you so much for coming on and good luck with everything and happy holidays coming to you too happy holidays gentlemen go o's i'll talk to you later all right bye alex Take it easy see ya so was that a good surprise yeah so you know what i still want credit though because i had no idea that that was coming and i guessed yeah, it I on the it, first try completely legit. first try yep. Yep. I thought you were going to do some, I thought you were going to do something crazy like have one of your kids come on or something like that. Oh, don't worry. That that day's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh listen Mike, we're uh going to get out of here in a few minutes. Anything else before uh we wrap up this episode on the Orioles? I feel like we we covered quite a bit here. Anybody else that uh any other players on the team that you want to just uh you know, shout out here or you know, have any anything interesting to note on? You know, not really. I mean, I think we covered it all in the pod. I mean, um, the Orioles are a really interesting team to kind of consider and think about as they move into the next season. They've got a lot of guys there that could really be helpful to fantasy teams, depending on how you go about your build. And um, one of the guys that I'm really hopeful for that I think is going to have a better year than he did last year is Ryan Mountcastle. And I'm I'm hopeful that he can get to that 30 home run plateau there and and really get him he's a good ball player and i think he had some hard luck last year and we talked a little bit about that on the pod but he's a guy that i'll be watching um later on in in drafts i like where he's going and um somebody that i think i'll probably have a few shares of on my teams Mm -hmm. yeah um he's he's an interesting one i mean i just you know with the park um, mm-hmm. I'm just a little bit less likely, like I'm not as enthused about Orioles players as I used to be. You know, I used to just, and it was hard for me to wrap my head around this last year. The fact that Camden is now such a pitcher's park, um, you know, so that's still, that's one thing that when I'm like trying to decide between two players and one's an Oriole and one's in a better ballpark, I, I feel like I'm always going to go with, with the other player. Uh, but I hear you on Mount Castle. I did want to point out quickly, we didn't talk too much about Cedric Mullins, but I saw a few things on Twitter. I think Mike Curlin posted about this. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman also had something on uh, Cedric Mullins. And the fact that he platooned uh, toward the end of last season, I think that was overlooked. I forgot that. And I think that's going to be overlooked by a lot of people. 
I went in and looked. He had a, a 66 WRC plus against lefties, which is, you know, 100 is average. Uh, so right. that's concerning. And if that continues, it seems like the Orioles are willing to just make him a platoon bat. And given where he's going in drafts, you know, he's going around the top 50. That's a steep price to play uh, to pay for a platoon bat. So just wanted to put that out there because, again, I think people might uh, have overlooked that. But uh, all right, that is going to do it for uh, this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If uh, you do like the show, we would really appreciate uh, rating, review, share it on Twitter. It goes a long way. So uh, for Carlos, for Mike, for myself, you've been listening to Fantasy Baseball Beat.